I think when the focus is neither avoiding problems or appeasing people, but serving someone and loving them by doing what's good for that person's soul, then you can keep yourself out of the savior mentality. Like they don't need me. What they need in this moment is Christ and his righteousness that is recorded in the Bible. And I'm going to love them and not really strive to make them happy or to solve their problems for them. I don't just need to feel better. I need the truth. And ultimately, that will make me better. I just want to make it as simple as possible for ladies to see that the Bible is really applicable to their everyday life. When they understand theology, the application flows out of it quickly with joy. It is a journey, but even the journey itself is joyful when I'm doing it, holding the hand of my Savior and trusting Him all along the way. This is the Joyful Journey Podcast, a podcast to inspire and equip women to passionately pursue beautiful biblical truth on their journey as women of God. When you choose truth, you're choosing joy. Well, hello, we're back here for our annual Ask Us Anything episode. Awesome. Where Jocelyn and I are going to take a look at some of the questions. We won't get to all of them, but I think we're going to get to the vast majority of the questions that came in on our different social media platforms and see if we can give you some answers that we hope are helpful. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you don't be like, oh, that was a bummer. (laughs) Why don't you get us started? All right. Here's a question from one of our social media followers. What is the truth you remind yourself of when dealing with unjust criticism, especially in ministry? Ah, okay. I get I live that. Mm -hmm. What feels unjust, actually, maybe a lot of it isn't even unjust. I don't know. But what feels like unjust criticism, and certainly the more public and out there you are in ministry or anything, the more you're going to get that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. My first thought is the passage of Scripture that we memorized this year, Psalm 37, 3 to 7. That is the passage that I go to when I am dealing with unjust criticism. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. Mm -hmm. And I love this. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. I really love that last part. It's his job to bring it out. And I mentioned this, I think, back in the day, but I circled on there all the things that are my job and circled in a different color Mm -hmm. all the things that are God's. God is the one in charge of my reputation. Yeah. So if I am focused on that, then I can focus on trusting in the Lord, doing good, and cultivating faithfulness. And that's, I think, incredibly important. Some other things that I think about is in the Gospel Primer, when he says, exposed by the cross, what the cross screams about me is that I'm actually worse than anything those people are saying. I think that's super helpful. Yeah. If, if I remind myself of that all the time, I'm not so shocked when I sin. Oh, yes. Look, I sin because I'm actually capable of even more than this. So yes. let's not be shocked. And when someone else sees that I have maybe done something incorrectly or a failure, like I'm not trying to hide it. Like, right. It's shocking that I don't do that more often. Right. It's hard when I've been involved in situations where to the best of what we know, We are doing what we believe is righteous and good and right. Mm. And a lot of it's pretty private. And what is being communicated about that is slanderous of us. Mm. So what do I do with that? Well, the Lord's in charge of my reputation. I was just reading today in different places in Scripture and being reminded, I have already been granted eternal life because of Christ. And I'm going to be with him forever. And nothing is going to touch that. Mm. So the only thing I need to think about now is how can I faithfully represent him in whatever he allows? And if he allows unjust criticism, how do I faithfully represent him? It's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to still be with Jesus forever. Now I get to focus on loving the unlovely, learning what I can, and to know, you know, I've been reading through a book on Job that has just been phenomenal. Even though what happened to Job was unfair, it was unjust, God used it to refine and grow Job. Right. So whatever's coming at me, God will only allow it 
to come at me if he's going to use it to grow me. So I don't need to resist it. I just need to grow from it. And I think it helps so much when we approach any situation like that with humility. Like yeah. it feel every criticism feels unjust, but you know what? Sometimes feedback is presented to us that helps us to see ways we could grow. Yes. And so humility would help us to say, "Wow, that stung." And maybe I would prefer to receive it in a different yes. manner. But it is helpful to say is if there's any truth in it, I do need to deal with that and I want to grow. Yeah. And also, it's helpful to know at some point I'll look back on this and say, "Oh, I have grown even since then." So I'm constantly growing yeah. in the way I handle yeah. stuff. And then part of how I might need to grow is trusting the Lord even mm-hmm. when I didn't need to change the yeah. specific oh, yeah, thing totally. that came to me for. Right. Like, okay, how do I trust the Lord mm-hmm. with that? Mm-hmm. And then there's freedom there. So, and I so I think also realizing There is one person whose opinion really matters, Mm -hmm. the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he sees, he understands, he cares, and he knows what's actually true. Many years ago, when I was working with Doc Smith about something, he reminded me of the scripture passage that says, in the future, the truth will be screamed from the rooftops. Ah. And it's so refreshing to me to know, I don't need to argue over everyone knowing what is true, because there will be a day when the truth is revealed. Yes. And until then... I just get to trust Mm -hmm. that, be faithful, and whatever comes out of my heart that doesn't look like Jesus, for me, sometimes it's an entitlement. Mm -hmm. I deserve to not be treated that way when I've done nothing wrong. Yeah. When I've been sacrificing myself to serve someone Mm -hmm. and then it's misconstrued, right? That's not fair. I deserve better. Well, that needs to get out of me. Jesus deserved better. Uh, Yeah. And didn't get it. Right. So then. That's the point. And I can always run to him. He is the one safe place. I never have to wonder, does he understand? Mm. Is he going to misuse my words? I can just run. Mm -hmm. And I think those situations crowd me back to him, which is a good thing. Do you ever go back and talk to someone who has slandered you? Do you ever confront that in a person? Yeah, I think it depends on a lot. And that's a really good question. And I think The first thing is, I won't know whether I should do that or not till I deal with the idolatry of I can't Mm. believe they said it. Right. That's true. So I get the log out of my eye, the entitlement out of my eye, the I can't believe out of my eye. I look for, is there truth in it, Mm -hmm. which I didn't want to hear or see. Right. And when I've done all of that, then I can say what is wise, what is loving. Because I just hate to think like, well, if people are slandering, I would hate to think that that issue is going undealt with. Right. And sometimes it has to be. It's third hand. Yeah. You know, and I can remember a situation that my husband was involved in where that was happening. And I said, shouldn't you go? Mm -hmm. And because we just, we care about the truth. Right. We do care about the truth, but I also cared about my husband's reputation. Mm -hmm. Can I just be honest? Mm -hmm. That was part of it. Yeah. And he said, I'm going to trust in the Lord and do good. Mm. I'm going to cultivate faithfulness and I'm going to let the Lord do the rest. Because at that point to go, it would be a, he said, she said, right. And, and it's not first hand. Trust the Lord and do good. But and, certainly if I am aware of direct sin, the scriptures give me problem solving techniques, right. but I don't even know how to sort through what's problem solving and what's not till I've dealt with the idea. And what's defending myself. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Interesting. How about this one? Do you have any book recommendations for fostering healthy, encouraging relationships with young daughters? And you do some work with mom to mom. I thought you might have ideas. And I have two daughters that I tried to be really intentional with because I wanted- Yeah, I wasn't as intentional. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you were. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Like, what in the world? That's not true. As my daughter sits here. (laughs) Um, I thought- It was really important from a really young age to have intentional conversations. So we gravitated toward scripted books that were like, hey, here is a topic to talk about. Because it was like I had all these theoretical philosophical things that I wanted to discuss. But, you know, in the middle of life, you're just busy. Like you have lots of loads of laundry and we had a garden and we had you know responsibilities. And so I really liked books that I'm going to list here in a second because they said – here is like a two-page discussion of this topic, and then they would land with some questions where you could continue the conversation. Nice. So between us girls, 
is a book similar to that where they give a topic and they say some basic stuff about that topic. And then the point of it is that you continue talking about the topic. There's an old-fashioned book called Beautiful Girlhood. Yes, I loved that book. Yeah, it's old-fashioned. It was written a long time ago, but it's like, I loved it because it was like you could read this short little chapter while you're like eating breakfast or something or doing something else, and it just generates conversation. But it's like, here's this cool standard. You should know about it, little girl. Like, this is what it means to be a girl. And I think that's really helpful at all times, but especially right now where things maybe feel a little confusing about gender for some kids. What I liked about that book is it was sweet and it showed girlhood and the transition into older girlhood as something delightful. Yes. Instead of just, it's going to be hard and watch all the emotions and it's going to be rough. (laughs) Get ready for your period. And I thought, I loved it. I read it with my daughter when she was pretty young, but old enough. You know, we were just talking. And then as I read one of them, they're like you said, like two pages. I said to her, what what are you thinking when I read that? And she said, it just makes me want that. Oh, that's that's cool. So it is old fashioned, but your applications will be different. Yeah. And that's okay. But it was just sweet. Yeah. I liked it. I like it that it holds out like a topic to discuss, and then you can take it anywhere your family needs yes. it to go. Yes, And like you said, it's anticipatory. Like, this is a great it's thing. Good. Not a bummer. Like, oh, the next four years are going to be pretty tough. Yep, hold on. <laughs> we also liked a more grown-up version of these kind of books called Girl Talk. I think it was by the Mahaney's. I've heard about out. it. I've not read I it. I really liked it. We read it and has some good discussion questions. There's a couple other books that are more like teaching books, Feminine Appeal, yep. Becoming a Titus to Woman. And then we really love Nancy Lee Wolgamuth's book, Adorned. When my girls and I read that, we read it independently, but it just ended up being that we talked about it a lot. Now it's that very, would you say probably high school? At least high school. Yeah. yeah because that's it's, older. it's a thick book. Yep. Yeah. This is not young girls. That's true. This next book is also not young girls, but I just want to put it out there because it's really good. Girls Gone Wise in a World Gone Wild was really, really helpful. That was kind of like our coming of age book once our girls became a woman. We read this together and discussed it. There's a kind of like a little discussion group video that you can find online. But we liked it because the world is saying, you know, crazy girls are the best. Go out and live your best adventure. Yep. And this is saying like, no, there's a lot of danger in living that kind of way. And there's a lot of safety and wisdom. And so that's for older girls, but I just wanted to plug it. It's a little bit of an older book by now, like maybe 15 years old. I don't, I don't even know. We I, d- really I know. did that. What's funny is the first time I gave it to my daughter, I think it was in seventh grade. And she gave it back to me and just said, yeah. are you sure you want me to read that? Yeah. One of my daughters said that too. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that I'm ready for this book. Yeah. Yet. So and I was be like, warned. Oh. But read it first. But I will yeah. tell you, they're hearing about sex oh, yes. in school. Yes. They and might as, little, as well hear it from you. As little kids. And that was always our position. Yep. Like, we want everything our kids know about sex to come from us, from yep. the Bible. And so we did have to gauge it back a little bit for one of them, though. She was just a little too young. Yeah. We also did a couple things like conversation starter cards like you can ask a question like we wrote down questions and put them in a jar and so it was just a way to get us to talk and we also went on mommy dates where we usually had a topic like tonight we're talking about this but we just wanted to build strong relationships with our kids so that it felt like we were having a never-ending constant conversation where they viewed us as a valuable part of the wisdom of their life And we viewed them and their opinions as worth listening to. Yeah. And we wanted to, like Deuteronomy talks about where we're sitting by the way, we're walking, you know, like all of our life is meant to revolve around spiritual truth. And that has to happen within relationship or it won't really, it won't really be taken seriously. Which means you need to have a lot of conversations about things you don't care about in order to be able to have the conversations about things you do. Yes, I feel like I'm well versed in things that I have been ne- my thing. I would have never thought I would <laughs> want to talk about this. But and that's what it took to get to yes. the heart to get because to where they were. Then they're talking. Yeah. Anytime they're talking to you is a good thing. Yeah. I remember and so one of the ways we did that, we didn't do anything like all the time, but except try to talk all the time. But the mommy dates, we didn't do a ton of those. We did some father-daughter dates. But she was very close to her. What her dad thought of her meant the world to her. And we knew that. And we were in a season where she seemed to be closing off from us a little Mm. bit, probably the middle school age. 
So we talked about it and Brent, and this was actually really helpful. Brent said, I would like you to take Karis to lunch and I want you to tell Karis what you were like at her age. Don't ask her to tell you anything. Don't That's ask cool. her to open up. You be vulnerable and just let her know what you were like so she knows you understand. So when we went to lunch, I said, Daddy asked us to do this, and Daddy asked me to share this with you. So number one, if Daddy wants her to do it, she wants She's to do it. She's doing it. And, so, and it was all true yeah. that that's what he wanted. And I said, he asked if it would be okay with you, could I share with you what I was like at your age? Because I was a mess, and I was a people pleaser and all mm. the stuff. And of course, they want to hear the dirt about their mom. Right. Everyone loves little kids' stories about their parents. I know. Especially if they're like things you did wrong. <laughs> and so I shared where my heart was. I was not a believer. Where my heart was, what was going on, things in my family, the ways that I behaved. The, it just I just was very honest about where I was. And then when I finished, all I said is, do you have any questions? Mm, like cool. for me. Mm -hmm. Because what we learned is if we asked her to open up, she did not. Mm. So it was like, you go first. Leaders lead. Mm -hmm. Lead by example. Yeah. Here it is. I was vulnerable, but this is me. And it was really sweet because when I said, do you have any questions? She said, do you ever think thoughts like this? And then it came out. Oh, that's awesome. And then we had a long conversation. That's so cool. So I was like, wow. Okay. Because I was committed to not pushing. Yeah. But I thought, I just want to be open with her because we had been, but then we weren't. Mm -hmm. Like she was closing off. Mm -hmm. And I look back and I wonder if maybe it was partly because she thought the things that she was thinking and struggling with. We're I would never think we're or so do. abnormal. Yeah, yeah. And they weren't. Yeah. So just an idea. We went through a similar situation with our family too, where a secret thought was held onto for so long that it became super shameful. Yes. And then it feels so huge. And then it finally came out through a really a lot of, you know, difficult situations. And I was like, babe, everyone thinks that like, yeah, that's, that's not even human. Yeah. Like, You've made this a giant thing when it's better to talk about it and we can work on it together. But like, you know, all of us wonder that all yeah. of us are tempted to think that. Yeah. Well, great. Well, speaking of meaningful conversations, uh -oh. how do you have a meaningful conversation when people tell you problems, but it's not a counseling context, like over lunch, they tell you a problem. <laughs> what do you do, Janet? <laughs> I say this is a typical lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually going to say, well, I mean, I think everybody, when they get an audience with Janet, is just like, let me tell you everything that's going on. You, have a, you have a way about you. What a privilege. Yes. So, but it's been good for me because I used to hear that as you would like my counseling mm. and then I would turn you off. Because that uh, wasn't because the Because I context. would start counseling. Yeah. And my husband really helped me with that. Oh, that's cool. Because it would not go well. And then I'd be like, well, they... They he, asked. He, well, he would say, did they? Oh. Did they, they were ask just talking. you a question? And I'm like, well, no. Oh, so it was like free advice session? <laughs> because they're talking. Yes. And this is happening. And my husband and I and my kids and, and I. And so they're telling you all about the problem. Okay. But they didn't say, please help me. Okay. So what do you do? Yeah. That's in those moments. I'm glad you have experience with this. This is helpful. Because I assumed that was your way of saying, what should I do? Mm -hmm. So I start telling you. And that didn't And go they're well. like, Janet, why can't you just listen to me? I know. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't just listen to that. And I was talking to Brent. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Just go, mm, yeah. Mm, sounds I, I, terrible. Ah. So here's what, and this has served me so well. And it's actually just a kind, and I think it's the right thing to do. It just didn't occur to me. He said, then ask for permission. Mm, yeah. So if you would just come to me and say, this is going on and this is going on and oh my word and at work and then at home and then, you know, if you would like some help and hope from the scriptures, let me know mm. and leave it in your court. Yeah. And what I've told you is there's hope. There's answers for all of that. And if you ever want them, you let me know. Here's what practically has happened. I have yet to have the person not say, what do you mean? And ask me to tell them. And then they're not mad. Just tantalizing. Well, now what? they want to There's know, answers? what are you thinking? Yeah. Like, what are you thinking as I say that? But because I respected them enough to ask, mm -hmm. or I would say, would you like me to share? And I normally don't say, would you like me to? Because people feel a pressure to say yes. Yeah. So I always right. just say, let me know. Like, it can be in the future. Mm -hmm. There's no pressure right now. You can just let me know if you ever want to know, because I'm excited 
the scriptures actually address that. Mm -hmm. And I would love to help you with that. If you ever want that, just let me know. And almost, I think, uh, every time I can think of, they've said, well, what do you mean? Well, would you like me to share that now? Because we don't have to. Yes. And now I've done it respectfully. Mm. Now, if I say, let me know, and then they say, okay, and then they just keep going, I'm going to give biblical hope. You know, the Bible's got answers for all Mm -hmm. of that. If they keep asking, are you asking me to share God's perspective? Then I will actually say, how would you like me to respond to that? I was actually just wondering that because what if someone is just like pouring out sin yep. out of their mouth because yep. they're comfortable with you? Like I've done that with you, like accidentally slipped over into gossip or something. Yep. Yeah. So I was just wondering, how would you respond to that? Right. So I would ask, how would you like me to respond to mm-hmm. that? Now, sometimes what they say is, well, I wasn't ex- expecting anything from you. I was just talking. Well, then we need to talk about what's edifying. Mm-hmm. Then I would go into some teaching with gossip okay, and say, I am not here to tell you what your intent was. But at this point, you're sharing with me things and saying, I know they're not like Jesus, but I don't want to change them. And that puts me in a really difficult position. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not comfortable with it's that. Hu- it's helpful that you are able to say it that way. Like, this is making me uncomfortable right. that you're sharing this information with me and also not wanting, seeming to want to handle this in a biblical way because my only goal is to live for Christ and I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right, right now. Right, so I'm not sure. So if you're not wanting me to do anything, then we have to think through, is your speech edifying? Yes. Because it could be appropriate if you're asking me for help. Right, If right. you're not... Is that edifying? So then I'm going to assume in my mind, they don't understand that. I'm going to believe the best, but we're going to have to then start talking about gossip. And if they've told me specifically, you know, Jocelyn sinned against me, blah, blah, blah. I will say, and I'm kind of have a reputation for this now, so I don't have to do it very often anymore. I will say, you must talk to Jocelyn about that. And I will ask you in a few days if you have. Yeah. And because I do that, I don't hear those things unless people want to deal with them Mm -hmm. now. So ultimately, but I start from, let me ask if they would like some help. Let me let them know. And sometimes they just stop talking about it then. And that's okay. They're learning. I need to meet people where they're at, but I want to offer hope. My goal would be when they leave the conversation at a minimum, they know the things I shared with Janet, she says the scriptures have excellent answers on that whenever I want them. They need to know that. That's hope. And then if they want help, I give it. If they keep talking, then I have to do some teaching. So I'm going to follow up with a counselor question. Uh Uh-oh. So what's your motivation in handling that conversation in that way? Why? Why do you do that? Because I believe I have a responsibility before God to love that person's soul. Yeah. And when they're communicating, I'm thinking, when they stand before the Lord, have I helped them be in a position to give the best account? So. I'm not here just to listen if listening is not encouraging their righteousness, Mm -hmm. but I'm not here to judge and be self-righteous. I'm here to love. So I'm going to hear them and say, oh, God's got answers for that. Would you let me share them? Yes. And then if they don't want that, then I do have to share with them. Then this conversation is not going to honor the Lord. And I believe you're wanting to honor the Mm -hmm. Lord, but this isn't. So... Unless we're going to solve the problem, I'm not the one for you to talk to about that. I do hope you'll talk to the right person. I think it's also so important to consider, like, we're, you're also not promoting yourself or your answers. Because mm. when you're loving someone like that, you're not thinking about yourself, which is so important. Yes. And I know that we have a lot of counselors that listen to this podcast. And something that sometimes happens as a counselor is that you begin to think of your identity as mostly a counselor and when someone comes to you you're like i have answers for that and you find your identity and the fact that people come to you with problems and your identity becomes about how you are helping people with complicated problems that's what gives me value that's what gives you value instead of saying like what you just said like my goal is to love righteousness yeah and to love that person's soul and to point them to their best savior which is christ which they may appreciate and they may not appreciate. Right. And I want them to appreciate it. I don't enjoy being disliked, but it's not about me. Like you said, right. this isn't, I'm only going to listen. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to make them mad. And I know how mad they get when other people try to tell them what to do. So I'm not going to, it's not about me. No. It's about them. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. As a listener of the Joyful Journey podcast, 
You're probably somebody who's looking to improve your counseling skills. While the podcast is happy to be used by God to help you improve your counseling, I wanted to let you know about Faith Bible Seminary's Master's of Arts in Biblical Counseling. This intensely practical degree is laser-focused on biblical counseling and can be completed in as little as two or as many as six years. This degree is perfect for men and women in counseling ministries who want to take their counseling ministry to the next level by being able to train others. The website is www.faithlafayette.org M-A-B-C. Check out the website for more information. Oh, let's see. What else do we have here? Oh, here, Jocelyn. Explain the difference between stuffing your emotions and godly self-control. Aren't I, they the same thing? I love this question. <laughs> I really love this question. So we talked about emotions in a couple of episodes yes. in this last year. And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to those. But I think there's a huge difference between stuffing your emotions and godly self-control. Emotional awareness is supposed to allow us to authentically go to God. Yes. So if I realize I'm feeling really sad right now, because I was able to define that problem, I will say I have a problem and I need help with the problem. So I can take that sadness to God and say, God, I'm feeling really sad right now. If I'm not emotionally aware, if I'm just trying to say, I'm not sad, what are you talking about? I'm fine. God is good. Yeah, God is good. Just dig a little deeper, try a little harder. (laughs) Then I'm never going to go to God because I don't have a problem. So emotional awareness is supposed to be a step of authenticity and vulnerability in our relationship with God. But emotional awareness doesn't remove us from our responsibilities. So I can't say... I'm so sad. God, I just wanted you to know I'm so sad. And so I'm going to sit here on this sofa all day long. And just be sad. And just be sad. So I still need to live faithfully, even if I feel very strong emotions very authentically. So I am sad. God, please help me. And also, I will get up and do the next thing that I'm supposed to be doing because my faithfulness matters. So faithfulness often looks like doing whatever is required of me while I am very raw emotionally. Yeah. And so stuffing your emotions would probably look like I'm just going to get up and do my responsibilities and be like, it's okay. Nothing's wrong. I feel great. Which you think about all those it's words. A, that's, that's a, a lie. lie. Yeah. Those are lies. Yeah. So stuffing your emotions. How is, could lying be what honors God? No. Stuffing your emotions is dishonesty yeah. because you're saying, I will not let them be real. I will not deal with them. I will shove them down deep inside and pretend like everything's great. What a lie. So when you contrast that with honest vulnerability, it would be much more like, I am sad. And I've talked to God about, I am talking about about that. And I'm depending on him for strength and comfort while I do this thing. Or it could even be positive. Like, I'm super excited about this new opportunity, but that doesn't influence me to stop doing the boring things that I'm supposed to do every day, like dishes and working out and laundry. Well, you don't find that exciting? In fact, I don't. (laughs) So when we're talking about authenticity in Christian relationship, we're not talking about authenticity for authenticity's sake, which is a little bit of how we differ in the culture around us. But authenticity so that there is honesty in my relationship with God and transparency so I can ask for his help in real situations. So I find, I believe that I'm biblically informed, a huge difference between stuffing your emotions and godly self-control. So godly self-control says, I will do the things that I should do. I won't do the things that I won't because the Holy Spirit lives in me and gives me the capacity to say yes to what I should and no to what I shouldn't while I am feeling authentically. Yes. And I think that is far more supernatural. The world can stuff and be responsible. Yeah. And the world can vent and be irresponsible. But Jesus people Mm -hmm. can be honest, broken, raw before God, and responsible because God carries them. And and it's like the whole psychological adage, like you can't pour from an empty cup. You can totally pour from an empty cup because Jesus fills you in real time. Yeah. Like we don't have to take our own needs first, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like we don't need to first be cared for before we can care for others. That's totally... Right. Unbiblical, unchristlike. So honest, raw, vulnerable, and also using godly self-control to do all the things that he's put before us for this day. And if you didn't listen to the episode on emotions and that they are a window into our worship, that was an excellent episode I commend to you. All right. So let's talk about reading. 
How can you discern what books are okay to read, especially romance books? <laughs> How do I honor God and my husband in this? And sh- this listener mentions that she has friends that recommend romance books and she doesn't always realize how steamy they often get. I can't wait to hear your take on this, John. I know what you're going to say. I'm like, I have some strong opinions here, so let me try to not be opinionated, but it will come out, and, and Jocelyn's free to go, Janet, that's just your opinion. But let's start I'll with- listen with discernment. Yeah, please. Somebody should, because I probably won't here in a minute. So let's start with what we do know. What is my goal? in life, and in everything, including my entertainment, including what I read. Whatever I do is about loving God and loving others. So I would suggest my entertainment, my reading, needs to help me grow in loving God and loving others. So that may have been enough. I'm going to say more, but that really may be enough. Mm -hmm. How steamy does it need to be Does it help you love God and love others? And quite frankly, if you're engaging in intimacy between two other people by reading about it, what in the world? But anyway, (laughs) I digress. Even G-rated romance books, not steamy. The question is, do they help you grow in valuing what God values? Or is this the guy with the granite chin and the gray eyes that talks to no one but you? Does that help you love God and love others and solve problems with your spouse? Or does that feed, I wish I had this? Can I tell you, no one has that. And I would say, that it's really fostering unrealistic expectations. <laughs> no one has that. No one does. And even the guys with steely gray eyes also have super bad habits. Like, and B.O. Yeah. <laughs> And dirty laundry. I mean, come on. Yeah. So I have seen Christian romance books almost tear a marriage apart Mm -hmm. and take a teenage daughter away from her family. Yeah. And they were books they got in the church bookstore. Yeah. And one of the teenage girls, the mom called me and said, she doesn't want to engage with family. She's always in her room. Well, what do those books do? The fantasy world is better than reality. Yes. So I don't want to live in reality. I'll live in this fantasy world. So it's not even that it was about sexual steamy things. It wasn't. But it was feeding the what I want and what will satisfy me the most is not give up your life for Jesus. Yes. It's if somebody thought I was amazing mm-hmm. in every way all the time. And you read about this girl who found this guy that this is it. And you're like, no wonder she's miserable. That is not. That is the world. God's upside down kingdom, my contentment comes from pouring my life out for others because of what all that God's done for me. That is not what you're going to read in those books. No, that would never sell. No, it wouldn't. So does this encourage a biblical marriage? We did some marriage counseling and at some point she recognized her inability to solve problems in her marriage stemmed from all the romance books she read before she was married. Because, you know, the romance books were not like that. Not like the fact that he doesn't always know what to say and he says something stupid. Mm -hmm. And then you got to work through it. Solving problems, sinning against each other. And now it's, I need to find the one. Mm. It will feed that. And so for married women, it's, oh, I just wish my husband was more like that. For single women, it's this is what I'm looking for. And for neither of them, it's I want to find someone who's committed to Jesus that I can solve problems with and that together we can point to Christ. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, but they're Christian ones. I I haven't seen that. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen that even in Christian ones. So how steamy should they be? I guess, you know, how much pornography is okay. Right. Like, I was thinking, like... (laughs) What's the level of porn you're comfortable with? And also, would you read that book out loud in front of or to your husband? Yes, or your daughter. And enjoy it at the level that you do privately in front of other people. Yes. It would be embarrassing to read that out loud. And if you have a preteen daughter, imagine reading it to her. Yeah, and saying, this is good, you should follow in my footsteps. The problem is we call some of those things more adult entertainment, and it's not. It's perverted entertainment. Adult does not mean that it's just for older people. No. I mean, we. I remember many, many years ago when we made some very clear lines about what movie we would watch and what movie ratings we would watch. And it just, like, 
it was like a light bulb. Like, if we wouldn't approve of this for our children, why, why we would we approve it? it for us? Yeah. Like, except things like there's maybe a concept of war right, and they weren't ready when they were suffering. little. And I'm and, not yeah, talking about but that. That's right. Yeah. I'm talking about right. like. Well, we're adult enough to handle it. Well, yeah. how much sin do we want to be messing with? Like, right. how close do we toe the line before we say, like, this is inappropriate? Yep. So here's a full disclosure question. How, when was the last time you read a romance book? You know, an actual romance book before I was married. Yeah, see, the answer to this but question what for I thought us, of was, I liked biblical historical fiction. I have stopped reading most of it because they always feel the need to put a romance in there. And it's not that it tempts me, it frustrates me because it feeds this stuff and it just makes me mad. So I don't even read those anymore. I think answer to this question, like for both of us, it's most likely been multiple decades since we've read a romance book, even a Christian one. Correct. Because for one, it feels like voyeurism. Yes. Like you're peeking into someone else's relationship and you're getting some sort of like thrill from watching someone else's love story instead of saying what I want to invest in is being the kind of partner I need to be to the husband that I've committed to. Yeah. And I've committed to be his companion, not a perfect false portrayal. It's almost like Instagram, like a perfectly curated social media post. It's totally that's a lie. Right. There, no one's house actually looks like that. So, and it, can I just say what God does give me in my marriage to Brent is better than yes. junk. Yes. I was going to say like, the, <laughs> it's not like you have to settle. Like the loveliness of the companionship that is built over decades with solve. problems that we worked together yep. to solve and real suffering that we worked through. Like it's incomparable. Yes. There's no romance book that can cause you to have the emotional stirring that a real relationship does yes and i would also say like because of the addictive nature of how those books are written you're often violating other principles like priorities and schedules you're up till two in the morning because you got to finish it right yeah. you're up till two o'clock in the morning because you just really need to know what happens so there's just a there's a lot of reasons why i don't know i that. guess we're both pretty opinionated <laughs> i don't Someone think we're gonna help us. each other <laughs> So the answer to we that encourage is, you not to read. Know, find something else. Well, here's the thing. What we encourage you to do is to read anything you read with discernment yes. and measure it against the righteousness of Christ. That's written for us very clearly in the scripture. It's what we started with. Does it help you love God and love others? Yes. Does this encourage my soul? And so I can read even secular things that are about heroism and encourage courage. Yes. But what does it encourage? Do I finish the book and wish my life was different? Mm-hmm. Or do I finish the book? You know, we went to this museum and saw these. It was in Israel. It's called Friends of Israel. So it was a lot of Gentiles, mostly Christians, who had helped That's Jewish cool. people. Yeah. And it gave their stories. And I left there. I said to Brett, I feel like such a wimp because I don't know mm. if I'd be that brave. Yeah. So it didn't. I didn't leave there thinking... I wish I had oh, that life. It was like, yeah. I'm, con- I'm challenged. I'm convicted. And Brent said, you'd have it if you needed it. And I'm like, oh, would I be husband. brave enough to, to hide a child in my bicycle basket and leave knowing mm-hmm. they'd kill me if they found him? Yeah. But I'm saving his life. And I'm like, I hope so. But I left that encouraged, challenged, convicted by their lives, not wistfully wishing it yes. was more about me. I think the point, like, in conclusion, (laughs) I think the point that you made about the fantasy world is an important one to realize. When I worked at Vision of Hope, many of the girls that I was privileged to work with had gotten into tremendous trouble because they lived in only their fantasy world. And that didn't just develop overnight. They invested in that place where they were not even living in reality anymore. And so I think it's a word of warning. We were not meant to live in a fantasy world. We were meant to live in this world that God placed us in for this moment in time. And it's awesome. It's great. It is. Nothing can compare to the real thing. Okay, let's try another one. How about how can I deeply care for someone and not make myself their Messiah, especially in counseling? Well, we have hit on this a little bit, but I want to start by saying... Most of us can easily fall in this trap. For sure. Absolutely. We can easily mistake sharing the hope of God with a friend with becoming our friend's hope. 
And mm, I, I that's quotable. I, I, oh, oh, thanks. <laughs> we should make a T-shirt. <laughs> I I'll just be honest. Like I have struggled with this very concept in counseling over the years. Me like, too. Someone is coming to you asking for help. It goes to your head, and you make it your identity. Yep. You forget that you're just talking about the real Messiah, and you are not their Messiah. Yes. And it's easy to slip into that place. So I think when the focus is neither avoiding problems or appeasing people but serving someone and loving them by doing what's good for that person's soul then you can keep yourself out of the savior mentality like they don't need me what they need in this moment is christ and his righteousness that is recorded in the bible and i'm going to love them and not really strive to make them happy or to solve their problems for them yeah i also just applicationally I work to be really careful to not be working harder than the person who has come to me asking questions. Excellent. I need to make sure I'm not the one swooping in to offer solutions to try to take their pain away, but I'm reminding them that that's Christ's role to take yes. their pain away if that's a good thing for them. And he will. Right. For sure. He it will. It may or may not be soon. Or the way they want it to be. Right. But. For eternity, he will. And one of my temptations is to take pain away, take pain away, take pain away. Like, let's make this not so hard. Because I don't like to see them hurt. No, I don't want anyone to struggle. I don't want anyone to feel hopeless. But I also have to learn to not be willing to violate godly boundaries or wise plans. And a warning sign for me is when I'm willing to allow other people's emergencies to dictate my schedule on a regular basis, I'm usually in rescue mode. Because I forget I'm not their savior. So they'll text me and I will give them seven solutions instead of just saying, what do you think God wants you to do? Or how do you think God would teach you in the Bible to handle this? And not always being available right away to respond yes. to the text when I'm with my family. Oh, yes, definitely. You know? And I think that, that would... will happen to me sometimes. I'm like, I'm sorry, I got to deal with this. Oh, no, they need me. No. It's, no. And everyone likes to be needed. Sure. So I can all understand why our hearts go toward that. Yep. But what they really need is Christ. Another thing that's been really helpful practically is to get other people involved in a team. Yes. Because it's harder to get sucked into bad boundaries or becoming someone's messiah when someone else is objectively listening to you talk and they're like, that doesn't seem sustainable. Right. Or wise or like, why are you doing that? I think that's wise, getting other people involved. And especially if you know you tend to struggle, even if they're not on the team, they're on your team and they're asking you the hard questions. Like, yes. Why are you answering all these texts? Yeah. Why is that? Well, but they need me. Well, let's think about that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's helpful to have other eyes on that when you know you tend to struggle. Especially like if the situation is very close to you. Yes. Like if like I struggled with this with one of my kids, like I started doing more than they did. And in that case, I needed you to say like, you're doing more than you should. Yeah. And so it's good to have objective eyes when it's very close to you. Because you, you care. Very pers- you love yeah. them. Yes. And you don't want all the levels of trouble that are involved with trouble sometimes. Right. Excellent. Next one for you, Janet. Are pastors and their wives able to have friends within the congregation? Sure. Anything else? Oh. <laughs> that you was probably want more than that. It too was, much of an easy answer. It's yes or no. So, yeah. So I think what we're really saying is that... How is it the same? How is it different? So, yes. But I do think that there are some differences. I am a pastor's wife. Jocelyn is my friend. Mm -hmm. If, and this is, Brent and I are doing very well. If Brent and I were having issues and he was a factory worker, I might say to Jocelyn, he's gone a lot. I'm really, I'm having a bad, and she can say to me, Janet, that's his job. You understood that. How can you, what might be going on in your, she can help me. That would be great for you to do that for me. Now let's add the layer of I come to you and my husband is your pastor. And I say, my husband's never home. I'm struggling with, I have just communicated to you about your pastor. That's a little different. And in some ways, you're the reason why you're struggling. Your friend, like your neediness as a congregation member is taking my husband away from me. Quit being so needy. All you people. Yeah. Yes. So... Is it different? Yeah, there are certain things that are more private. I don't believe our lives are harder than other people's lives. But within the church congregation, there are limited people that I would go to with certain struggles. Some Mm -hmm. struggles, whatever. Yeah, they're human. They have nothing. They're just about me. 
But if there are struggles that involve my husband, it's not wrong, but I need to be very, very careful in how I communicate about things like that and who. So I think if you're friends with a pastor's wife, a gift you give her is don't pry. Mm. Some people have struggled in friendships with me because there are a lot of things I don't talk about. I don't talk about even in general things that I'm struggling with if they primarily have to do with ministry things coming at me. It's just not my how story they, to tell. How would your friend answer that? Right. Like, but they what? don't feel like they're as close to me because mm-hmm. they don't know. Where you might be able to tell me things going on at Brian's work mm-hmm. and say, help me with how I think about that. I'm not going to go to you the same way. Yeah. But I believe pastor's wives, it's helpful if the Lord doesn't provide it, he is enough. Mm-hmm. But it's helpful to look for where that's appropriate. It might be another pastor's wife. It might be someone outside your congregation. That's kind of what I was thinking is it's nice in our congregation that we have multiple pastor's yes. wives. Like they understand at a level that no one else is privileged to, and they can encourage you in moments where nobody else's encouragement would probably be very helpful anyways. Right. So if you don't have that within your own church, that can be helpful. But even without that, I have a lot of friends who are not pastor's wives, and they challenge me, and they encourage me, and we help each other grow. We can pray together. I consider you one of my closest friends, mm-hmm. and you're not, your husband is right. not currently a pastor. No, he's not. And that's okay. Yeah. So friendships, yes, but I do think that in this day and age, we think friend means I can say everything mm-hmm. with no boundaries, yeah. and I would say that's not true of anybody yeah. anywhere except Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't even say all of my thoughts to my husband because some of them are wicked some of and don't them, need to be said. I know. Some of them are reprobate. I, should I just never... need to repent. Yeah. So if I mean by friend someone where there's no limits, yes, you have one. He's Jesus. Yeah. But otherwise, there's some differences. But yes, we can befriend each other. But it's always with limits and it's always with the goal of being edifying and loving God, not the goal of authenticity. It's the goal of love. I'll mention one thing that I've heard you say before in other contexts, but sometimes I think what people mean by friend is best friend, yes. where we own each other. Like, I'm your best friend. You're my best friend. We belong to each other. So you have to be able when, to tell me anything. And when we go to church, we have to sit next to each other, and you're always going to do all my serving with me. And that is not a godly view of friendship in general. Right. So it's not like this ownership where when I go to church, I know I'm always going to get to sit with you. That's so unwelcoming. And I've really loved watching you and Brent operate in church where I know you have friends, but you don't go to church to hang out with your friends. You're going to church to love other people and include them in your circle of friendship. Quite frankly, is more satisfying. Yeah. It's not a downer. It's actually amazing. All right. How about this one? I love these counseling ones. What distinctions should we be aware of, especially if you are a counselor, when you're counseling someone who's acting sinfully versus acting foolishly? Well, what an interesting good, yeah, concept. That's a good question. I remember learning from you as you processed your certification when you were talking to your supervisor, where he said most counseling issues come down to two things. Are they not taught or are they not applying? And so it's your job to determine, is this a true lack of knowledge? Well, if it is, then teach them. And if they know this, well, then help them learn how to apply it. And so having that conversation with you years and years ago has helped my counseling to say like, I don't need to be reteaching something that this person already knows. In that case, I need to hold them accountable to applying it. Yeah. So I would say if someone is acting unrighteously, let's just say unrighteously, you can ask, are they not taught? Do they not know that this thing that they're doing is not righteous? Well, then the solution is share with them righteousness so they have that as a mirror to hold up against their actions. Or are they not applying what they have been taught? And in that case, it's our job to remind them of what they know and encourage them to apply it. So there's two important goals in counseling, either teach or apply. There's really not much else I do other than gathering data, which is for the purpose of determining, are we teaching or are we applying? Yes. But someone acting sinfully and they have been taught, then they are choosing something opposed to God and his word. So the solution is to repent and to apply what they know is right. Someone acting foolishly is not taught, so the solution is to teach. And it reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, 
encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. It's like the scriptures speak to this very question, determine what's going on, and then interact with it appropriately. And I think one of the ways you determine that is to not be prideful and say, I know what's going on. You need to ask good questions and you need to not assume that you know everything or know what's going on. And I think that's especially tempting if they've been in your church a long time. Yeah. Because you would think they know things. You would think they know better. Yeah, And maybe they do, but maybe they don't. So I need to not assume. I need to ask all the questions. So it's interesting. You have said sinfully versus foolishly. You've kind of defined foolishly as ignorant. Yeah. In my opinion, that is. So that's how you went there. Because I found myself thinking, well, if by f- the fool says in his heart there is no God. So are we talking about a fool? Oh. Or are we talking about ignorance? Yeah, I think in my mind I was thinking so that was of foolishness as ignorance. ignorance. And not that's foolishness exactly a good... as like rebellion, stubbornness. Right. But the answer is the same. Yeah. Which is what I love. That's really good. All right. Next question for you. Domestic abuse in the church. How I sh- don't think we should do it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> How should the church respond and aid in healing? And we just want to say, this is not a laughing matter. We're no, not joking no, at no, it. No, no, no. But this is also a humongous question. Humongous question. Yeah, and a lot of people are talking about this. We also got a question. What does obedience look like in an emotionally and spiritually oppressive marriage, which I think is very similar. And here's what I'm going to say. I think I would do everyone a disservice if I tried to answer this mm-hmm. without a ton more information and without a ton more time. But having said that, there are some resources that ACBC just put out, and they put a lot of information on that area. And we're going to link that in our show notes. It's a lot. I think it's like 20 pages and of information. And it's so helpful Yeah, very practical. And you may come away with it going, I still have questions. No doubt. You will still have so questions. So I don't think it answers everything that could be said, but it's a painful, it's a complex topic, it's real And there's not a one-size-fits-all, but I do believe they worked hard to get a document out that would be helpful and not so vague that it said nothing, but it's also not, oh, here's exactly Mm -hmm. what to do. I think it's really helpful, and I think I would do a disservice to try to say it all. So we will link to that. That's probably the best I can do here, but it's a good question. And it's an important topic, and you know what? We really want to handle abuse situations in the church the way that Jesus would, and that's carefully and with righteousness. Yeah. I will just say, not really necessarily that, but just a plug for, in February, we will have a pre-conference that's virtual or in-person Adult Survivors of Severe Childhood Trauma and Hope that is there. So I understand this was about abuse in marriage, but I'm thinking if you have any of that in your past or someone else you know does, this pre-conference, which will be online, virtual, or in person, I think the hope of the Mm -hmm. gospel and how to help is just going to be We've been able to preview some of that teaching, and it's just rock solid and awesome. Okay. Jocelyn, let me ask you this one. Does a wife need to be best friends with her husband. You just talked about how we don't always have to think of best friends. Yes. But how does that work when it comes to your spouse? That's a great question. I will say I don't think that a wife needs to be best friends with her husband because Jesus is my best friend. And he is all I need. And Jesus is my husband's best friend. Even if he's not in a relationship with him, he is the best friend my husband can ever need. Yes. And ever have. And my goal is to live in my marriage in a way that points my husband to his best friend, not to be an inferior alternative. So at the same time, as you as your life is knit together in companionship, friendship will probably grow. Yeah. And ideally it would. It w- ideally, there may be difficult situations where you're fulfilling your biblical role and it doesn't necessarily make your spouse feel friendly toward you. Yes. I mean, we've probably both had situations like that. Like your husband does something correctly and that makes you unhappy with him <laughs> or your husband does something incorrectly and it makes you unhappy with him. Yeah. So we learned many, many, many years ago that it was important to think of ourselves as teammates. When we ended up in counseling for about nine months, and it started out as parenting counseling, but it turned into marriage counseling, and our counselor just said to us, Are, do you guys remember that you're on the same team? Like, you're actually- you're not competitors. You're teammates. You're supposed to be on the same team. And we were like, oh, yes, on the same team. So that learning that many years ago, 
still impacts us now. Like, you know, we can get snarky with each other. Or we can get irritated because we're tired or whatever. And we can easily forget that we are teammates. And so it also helps to have reminders like of our roles. God meant for marriage to be companionship. Yeah. And he meant it to be based on loyalty and devotion. Yep. And that can be enacted to the extent that both people involved are acting biblically. You're not going to be loyal to a person who's disobeying the law or disobeying Christ. Like our first loyalty is to God. But biblical marriage was meant to be for companionship. So yeah. if that's true and you're both growing in your relationship with the Lord, then you will be becoming better and better friends. And but you may be, from the from a human perspective, best friends. You may like, be. Like, I would say Brent is my best friend. Not every day. Right. But he is my closest friendship. And if by that we mean best friend, he's my closest friendship. And to get to that place, a ton of selflessness was required. Yes. And I think that's when you think yep. about best friends, it has that, in my mind, negative connotation like, I belong to you, you belong yes, to me. That's we're, not the we're same. We're besties forever. Like, that's not. We hate the world together right. or whatever. Like, we're, we got each other's back even if we're going down burning. Like, so our life is woven together. And naturally, out of that companionship, we have inside jokes and private language and shared goals. But I don't have inside jokes and private language to block other people out. It just happened. Like yes. something funny happened and we still talk about it four years later. It's a sweet intimacy, but it's not intended to keep others away. Exactly. But there is a sweet intimacy that if you're both growing biblically and solving problems will happen. So I think that companionship is built on a biblical understanding of priorities. And he... After my relationship with God, he, my husband, is my highest priority. Yeah. So if that's true, his friendship is going to be more important than anyone else's friendship. And his desires are going to be more important than my kids' desires because yeah. he is my priority. And if I am thinking in a biblically prioritized way, he is going to be the best of the friends that I have because he's my highest priority. Yes. I remember one time we were having an endless Lord of the Rings marathon. <laughs> and it was in a stressful period of time. And my husband kind of like said to himself, we were watching Samwise Gamgee be mm. Frodo's best friend. Yes. And he just kind of muttered under his breath, I wish I had a Samwise. And I was like, whoa, that's not okay. Because that should be me. It should be me. Yeah. And so it makes me cry a little bit thinking about it. Like I took that like feedback knowledge that he was feeling as if he didn't have that yeah, kind of a friend yeah. and it it really I can remember when it happened it revolutionized the way that I interacted with him because in my mind I just was quick to think like oh he's my husband he understands he understands that I'm late for work today like he understands yep. that I need him to fold his own laundry like yep. he understands that he can make supper tonight instead of saying like I'm his Samwise I'm his best yes. supporter and when he is accomplishing insurmountable tasks. I want him to always know that I have his back. And sometimes that means talking about problems in a biblical way because we don't just let problems go unsolved. That's what best friends do. Right. They work to make the other person's life better. So I don't think you have to be best friends with your husband. I think if you're both in a biblical marriage and you're trying to be biblical, it's probably going to happen. Right. Because companionship lends itself to that kind of friendship. But I also think if you're in a tough marriage... And you have one or more spouses not acting biblically. It's nothing to be feeling like you're missing out on. This and, is the platform where you right? get to shine and you, you get to be like Jesus in that. And that's beautiful. And you are being his friend or he is being her friend, even if it's really uncomfortable because difficult stuff has to get handled biblically. Right. right. Excellent. Okay. Well, that was fun. I think we got through most of them. I think so. So this has been a great way to end the year, especially thinking about, I'm sitting here thinking, who can we be a Samwise for? For Aww. our spouses if we're married, but then for the people around us. What a sweet way to maybe start out next year. So thanks for spending this year with us. To keep from missing any future episodes, please sign up for our newsletter on our webpage, joyfuljourneypod.com. From there, you can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify. You can also visit us on our Facebook page or Instagram at Joyful Journey Podcast. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can also email us at joyfuljourneyquestions at outlook.com. 
Joyful Journey Podcast is a ministry of Faith Bible Seminary. All proceeds go to offset costs of this podcast and toward scholarships for women to receive their MABC through Faith Bible Seminary.